Well, good morning, y'all. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here, and we are finishing, as you just heard, we're finishing a series on racial reconciliation. The series has been called One Family, God's Call to Racial Reconciliation and Renewal. Uh, Today's message is called, What Story Are You Living? What story are you living? Uh, The story that you believe you're living Uh, has a huge impact on how you live and how you feel about how you live. Uh, It actually determines the value that you place on your life. And the Bible tells us that God is telling a story through our lives. God is telling a story through history. Um, And God's story is that the people who believe in him are all part of one race. Uh, That all of the people that God has made, they're part of, they're, they're, they're supposed to be united together in one family. This is God's design. This is God's story from the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis 1. And also it's repeated in the New Testament in one verse. It's in your bulletin in Acts 17 verses 26 and 27. It says this, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so we see here from one person, God has made all of the nations of the earth, that we are designed to be one race, the human race. And we're designed to be one family. Verse 27 says that God did this, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So God made us and he appointed the boundary so that we would seek him and find him because he's near. And in this series, we've seen that this is still the heart of Jesus. One family, one family of God made up of believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And what's amazing about this story that that God has been telling, the story that Jesus is telling is that Jesus invites us to enter into his story. Jesus invites us to be a part of the story that he is saying so that whatever story you're living now, Jesus is saying, hey, why don't you leave that story or put that story to the side and why don't you come be a part of the story that I am telling? This story of racial reconciliation, this story of ethnic unity, where we're all one family, a bunch of really different people who sometimes have nothing in common, but a love for God. And Jesus is saying, come and join this story. Because this story, the the story that Jesus has for us includes us embracing other people, loving them as equals, no matter who they are or where they're from. Now, the opposite of this story is racism. Like racism fights against this story. Racism tells a different story. It's a different story from a different source. And today I want to talk about where racism comes from. And I want to talk about the temptations of racism. I think racism has roots that are even deeper than just about than just race. That racism started even before there were races. Um, It's described in the archetypal story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter four. 
in this unbelievably short story, you have an explanation of where conflict comes from, where division comes from, where the things that have led to the racism that we see that pervades life in our society, where it comes from. In Genesis 4, there are two brothers, Cain and Abel. They're brothers, and they both offer sacrifices to God. And God had regard for Abel's offering, but he had no regard for Cain's offering. And Cain got angry about this. And so this is Genesis 4 now, verses 6, 7, and 8. It says this, The Lord then said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And so Cain is angry. He thinks he's been treated unfairly and God comes and confronts him. He confronts him. He says, you are jealous. He says, I'm warning you. This is a huge problem. Sin is crouching at the door and it wants to master you. And if you don't rule over it, it will control you. Well, then verse eight continues the story. It says, Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And so here it is. Jealousy. Jealousy that couldn't stand to see his brother blessed. And then greed, greed that wanted what his brother had. Jealousy and greed made him murderous. And friends, this is where racism comes from. It comes from jealousy and greed. And both of these are part of a story that is radically different from the story that God is wanting to tell through history. Jealousy and greed, they come from a story that sin is telling. They come from a story that Satan himself is telling. Sin and Satan are crouching at the door of every human heart. Sin and Satan are waiting and longing to try to control you, to make you murderous even. And so these are temptations to racism for both oppressor and oppressed. These are temptations to oppressor and oppressed. Um, oppressors are tempted by greed and jealousy, right? Greed is when you can get more if you just take advantage of others to get it. Like there's a more that you can get that's legitimate. There's a more that you can get from working harder. There's a more that you can get from working smarter. But then there's a more that you can get by taking advantage of other people. That's greed, Jealousy is when you want what other people have and are willing to cheat others then to get it. The temptation to want so much that you're willing to use others, to even abuse others, or you're willing to ignore the suffering of others. This is how greed and jealousy control, end up taking control over the heart of people who are or end up being oppressors. And when the oppressor is driven by greed and jealousy, maximizing profits to the point that sin controls you, 
uh, when people are treated as property or as disposable or as abusable, at that point, sin wins. At that point, Satan actually controls a part of you. And you are a star in his story, not in God's. And Satan's story is subtle. It's subtle. It's wrapped in a truth that becomes a lie. Satan simply says, shouldn't you be able to get what you want? Is that so bad? Just getting what you want? Did God really say that you can't get what you want? Well, it's not just the oppressors uh, that, are, um, that are tempted by jealousy and greed. The oppressed are also tempted to jealousy and greed. The oppressed are tempted to see disparities in outcome. Um, and when they see disparities in outcome, they are tempted to conclude that every difference is based on something that's out of their control. And jealousy grows because you don't have as much. Jealousy takes root in the heart because you haven't been treated fairly. And when the oppressed are driven by jealousy, it becomes murderous, at least in the heart. But then often it becomes murderous in real life toward those that they perceive to be responsible. And when that happens, Satan wins. When that happens, he controls you. You become a star in Satan's story, not God's. And again, Satan's story is subtle. It's wrapped in truth that becomes a lie. He says, shouldn't life be fair? Didn't God say that he is just? And so Satan stokes the fires of jealousy and greed, and he tempts us toward racism so that we would divide and split from each other. But then Satan tempts us in a second way. There's another way that Satan tempts us. He tempts us then by offering us a response to racism that actually makes the problem worse. And so he tempts both oppressor and oppressed with, this is the second thing, with hypocrisy. So he tempts us with jealousy and greed, and then, he attempt, and then he tempts us with hypocrisy. And specifically, Satan tempts us to speak hypocritically in order to be seen by others. To speak hypocritically in order to be seen by others. And so this is claiming to believe things in public, but not practicing what you preach. And Jesus himself warns us about this in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and he says it in several different ways. We're just going to look at verse 1. Matthew 6 verse 1 says this. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Okay? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. I see this temptation frequently in social media. Very often people post with a frequency and an intensity that is not matched by their life. The intensity of people's words and feelings about racism are not matched by their actions. 
They have succumbed to what is an extraordinary lie. And this is a lie that I myself feel. I feel this. Like, I'm going to say it and you're going to be like, oh man, I think that's a lie too. But I also feel it. It works. I think Satan's power is most clearly shown when I can know exactly what he's trying to do and it still works. Um, here's the lie. That when we post something on social media, we feel like we've done something really important. And you feel that way, right? You post something and you think like, okay, I've done my job here. You kind of have this like, I think there's even like a, a, a neurochemical, there's a dopaminergic rush that happens when you put something out there and you've taken your stand. We feel like we've done something really important. But here's the question. Does our life match our social media? I mean, so many people admit it. It's like, it's kind of a joke in a different aspect of social media that, that social media has the best moments of your life. It's you at your best. It's all the highlights and none of the lowlights, right? There are people who end up getting depressed and even suicidal because they spend so much time looking at everybody else's social media that they think that, well, their life is perfect and my life is not. So there must be something desperately wrong with me. Right, And this is, I mean, it's real and it's serious, but it's also joked about in so many things where people know that their real life is nothing like what they post about. Well, the more subtle temptation is that people post things about social justice. They post things about racism and even about politics, but their real lives, like what they actually do is nothing like what they post. They're not helping anyone in their real life. They're not doing anything that is actually making a difference in the life of someone who is suffering in the way that they're describing on social media. And so this is a form of hypocrisy that's really dangerous because posting about these things makes us feel virtuous. They make us feel like we're part of a crowd that's bigger than us, that we're part of one side or the other of this political battle that's taking place. It makes us feel like we're doing something righteous, that we are righteous when we might not be at all. And it's actually worse than this. It's worse than this because... Many of these kinds of social media posts actually prevent you from entering into real conversations with people in real life. Because very often these kinds of posts identify you as someone who actually can't have a healthy dialogue because your view is so extreme and it's so intolerant and it's so convinced that most people wouldn't think that, they, that you'd even be willing to have a healthy dialogue. To be able to uh, maybe even think about what might be a different side of this issue. And so, all right, so this is pretty negative, right, on social media. Um, and I get that. Um, how about if I give you a more positive way to think about this, right? Maybe a more positive way. We, we, what, do we, what do we say it this way? The power of your post is nothing compared to the power of your love in real life. Okay, the power of your post 
on social media is nothing compared to the power of your love in real life, in real relationships. Like that's what actually matters. Instead of speaking out in ways to be seen by others, man, enter into real relationships. So if you are posting on social media, just ask yourself, are you doing anything to personally love the people that you are speaking out on behalf of? Are you spending any face-to-face time with people who are different from you? Now, I'm not saying don't post anything on social media. I'm just saying that we need to avoid the hypocrisy that Jesus is confronting. That if all we're doing is posting so that we can be seen by others, we're not actually doing anything. What we're doing is, it's empty, it's vapid. It's like a spray bottle. You know, you just, it's a little cloud that appears for a second and then it's gone. And so if you are posting things on social media, please make sure that you are actually personally loving the people that you are posting to help. And if you're not posting on social media, please also actually love people personally that are hurting and are suffering. And then can I talk for just a minute about voting? Um, I realize that there are a lot of people who speak about the power of your vote. They speak about the importance. And and as citizens of a democratic republic, we don't want to neglect the importance of voting. But the power of how you vote on November 3rd is nothing compared to the power of how you love others between now and November 3rd. I'm serious here. How you vote on November 3rd, the power of that vote is nothing compared to how you love other people in the next 30 days leading up to the election. Say it a different way. The power of how you vote on November 3rd is nothing compared to the power of how you love in real life on November 4th, November 5th, November 6th, every day for the rest of your life. And man, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And, and, and I'm saying this, like this convicts my own heart because I love chasing all the political drama. I love chasing the stories. I love finding out who the hypocrites are. I love like learning and understanding the good and the bad on both sides. I love seeing the strengths and the weaknesses of all the arguments. Man, if I spent as much time caring for real people in real life as I do watching YouTube and listening to podcasts and garnering up my arguments so that I can try to humble both Democrats and Republicans in my conversations with them both, our church would be a lot healthier. Just flat out, our church would be a lot healthier if I did this. The community of people, my parish, the the relationships I have outside of our church would be a lot healthier. 
And the power of how you vote on November 3rd is nothing compared to the power of how you love others every day for the rest of your life. Because friends, I need to remind you that we are not following a political party. We are following Jesus. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our president. Jesus is our leader. Not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, not President Trump, not Vice President Biden, not Jesus is the one that we are following. And Jesus's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus is exactly the opposite of hypocritical because Jesus didn't just shout out. He didn't just post on the clouds for us from heaven. Jesus came into this world. He entered into creation. He became flesh and blood to personally care for people like us. Like this is who we're following. Jesus, and he, he, he identified with the weak and the helpless. And he came to actually overturn the oppressive power structures of the world. So he was, it wasn't lost on him that oppression was real. It wasn't lost on him that systemic racism is real. But look at how Jesus went about confronting these things. Read about Jesus, spend time with Jesus and find out what he did. He did this by loving people in real life and then by even being willing to submit to sinful oppression. Like God himself came and subjected himself to sinful oppression in some way communicating to us that that is the road for us to overcome sinful oppression in our day and age. Jesus protested peacefully. Jesus told his followers to put away their swords. This is his story and he's inviting us into it. And remember what God did for Jesus? God raised Jesus from the dead. When the world did their worst to him, it wasn't enough. God raised Jesus from the dead and highly exalted him because Jesus walked this other kind of path. God gave him the name that's above every name. Jesus is the most important person in all of human history. There's coming a day when every single one of us, every single person in human history is going to bow down to Jesus because that's the path he walked because he chose to walk that path. And he's saying, Hey, follow me. Follow me on this path. The cross was the greatest expression of Jesus's love for us in real life. And if that's true, then this is our greatest expression of love for others. It's in real life. So what can we do, right? What should we do? Let's take action, right? And we've been talking during this series. We're taking baby steps 
And I keep saying that every week, not because these things are insignificant. These baby steps are foundational. They're the beginning of a process that is going to take years for us as individuals, years for us as a church to grow into. We want to become a church that's full of people who are doing our part to make a difference in racial reconciliation. And so these first steps, these baby steps are really, really important. And so I want to tell you to do three things, three things this week. First, pray. Pray. And this week, I want you to ask God, am I engaged? Am I engaged? Like, God, is my life actually engaged in caring for people? Am I actually caring for people that are hurting? Am I caring for my black brothers and sisters? Am I caring for my Hispanic brothers and sisters in real life? Am I actually engaged in this? Am I loving people across ethnic boundaries in real life? Pray this prayer. Ask God, what does he want from you? God, what do you want from me? Where are my blind spots? Is there anything I can do this week that might make a difference that would let me take a baby step in this direction? If you would join us for the 40 days of prayer, we've been praying. We're on day 10, um, actively trying to pray into what does it look like for us? We're begging God for 40 days prior to the election for racial and political reconciliation in our city and in our nation. And so join us. Join us. We have a prayer guide. Um, you can get it, uh, the prayer guide on our, on our website. If you use the connection card and just give us your email address, we'll email you uh, the We'll email you the prayer guide. It's just a short thing that you can do. It takes me like two to three minutes every morning. I read a verse. Um, there's a short devotion. And I just pray, God, show me. Show me how. Please bring your kingdom. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so first, I want you to pray, God, am I engaged? Second, spend time with others of different ethnicity. Spend time with other people. You won't grow. We, as a church, we won't grow unless you learn to listen to and respect other people's perspectives and experiences. So identify people in your life or pray that God would bring them into your life. If you have nobody in your life is of a different ethnicity, repent of that. Say, God, I'm sorry that this is true for me. Please bring people into my life that I can spend time with, that I can learn more about who you are imaged in them. And you can do something in three days. If you want to spend time with others of different ethnicity, then on Wednesday night, come here. Come here this Wednesday and worship with Second Sunday and New Birth Kingdom Covenant Church. Uh, this worship night, this time of worship is going to be a multi-ethnic experience. 5.30 p.m., Kraft hot dogs. Ben doesn't know how to describe them. Amazing hot dogs with toppings that will blow your mind. You're like, I didn't know you could put that on a hot dog, but it's so amazing. So Kraft hot dogs, chips, and a drink for five bucks. Like, that's ridiculous. Unbelievable deal for you, for your family. So come, 5.30, Kraft hot dogs, chips, and a drink. And then at 6.30, we have three different churches crossing racial lines, worshiping together. So come Wednesday and you can take a step in this. And then the last thing, third, give $42 to our special, our one family special offering campaign. 
So we're raising $5,000 above our normal giving, right? I want you to keep giving normally, but we're trying to raise $5,000 above our normal giving to support the work of two organizations that are serving black and Hispanic communities in San Diego. So the David's Heart Foundation and Alma Community Care. The details of this are on your flyer in the bulletin, right? This guy. Uh, there are also, there's more details on our website. Um, and today... Come on up, Brandon. Today, we're going to hear from Brandon Stepp. He's the executive director of David's Heart Foundation. He leads an organization doing amazing work, serving and mentoring at-risk, homeless, and incarcerated youth. And part of our special offering is going to be to support him and what he's doing. So thanks, Brandon. Yeah, come talk. Um, wow, what, what an amazing sermon. What a timely, timely and amazing sermon. Like, um, and so I had some things I was going to share, but I think I'd rather share how I was moved by the Lord to lead us into the juvenile justice system. So I'm from Southeast San Diego. It's about eight miles that way. And uh, grew up there, went to college, came back, and I founded the David's Heart Foundation um, in a garage in Southeast San Diego because there were young people in the community that really wanted to connect with music and I saw music as a platform to be able to connect with the youth. And so this platform of media music production has been really cool because it allows us an opportunity to meet young people where they're at and just, and just love them where they're at and help them to, to navigate spaces. So I was in my community and a young man, we met a young man named Jeremiah who was really had been struggling um, in, the in the juvenile justice system, in and out and in and out of, ju of, of juvenile hall, it cost about $300,000 a year to incarcerate a youth at this point in our community. And he had been serving multiple sentences. And I was struck. I'm from that community, but that's not my experience, right? So how can I help address this massive issue the systemic issue of mass incarceration. Um, and I did what Stephen just said. It really struck me what you just said because it's so true. I prayed, Lord, how can I affect this, this issue of systemic, like just a massive issue in the community. And all we have is this platform of music and this love. Um, so we used what we had, you know, we prayed and, uh, I knew that we were called to go inside East Mesa Juvenile Detention Facility. And I didn't know what that looked like because I'd never been inside a juvenile detention facility. But we got backpacks um, full of equipment and we call them backpacks of hope. So we bring this studio equipment inside East Mesa Juvenile Hall and we started to work with young people, just meeting them right where they're at and allowing them to do music and starting a conversation that ends in, ends in a mentoring relationship. But the funny thing about love is, love isn't just directed to where you think it should be, right? So when we went into that space, we ended up allotting 25% of the time and then 30% of the time to just get to know the staff of officers that were present there, to be able to just be present with them as well. Um, and in the process, what we got to see was rehumanization on both sides. We got to see young people experiencing rehumanization through music and officers seeing how talented and beautiful
their gifts were. And we got to see officers come into this space and young people for the first time see them celebrate with them, right? And um, it's amazing how powerful the tools that we have are. But I'm very humbled because really it just started with the prayer, you know? And now we're starting to see this change happen in the system um, where we are locally. And it's really a miracle. It's a miracle in this day and age. So your support is, is important, but I really think that the important thing that I hope that you heard today is that we all have tools. We all have things that we do. The question is, how will we utilize those? Um, and it's, it's a very humble process that ends up looking like an amazing program that's helping young people, but it's really a, a, a simple process of submission Will you utilize that which you have um, for those around you in a loving manner? Um, so Adrian, you guys have already partnered with us. Adrian, is, he's been with us for a long time. He's a, a sound engineer here, but he's also a, 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 a member of the David's Harp family, right? So when he was a young person, he came into the program and learned the engineering skills that he needs. And then we partnered with Harbor City Church, and here's Adrian doing sound for you. There's another young man named Delore who Chad knows very well because he's been in and out of incarceration. He sat on, on that stoop right there the other day and was interviewed by another young man about his process. And he's been in and out of the detention facility continuously. But what we do is we represent a space where he can come back and understand that he'll be received. And in that reception, there'll be love shown and opportunity given again. So he came back a couple of days ago after being back and forth and back and forth. And I, and I think it's important to, to, to tell you about that, both of those, because success isn't linear, nor is the path. When you want to help in the community, it's not linear. Um, it's about walking with people and loving them where they're at, um, being the light and the salt that the Lord called us to be. And in that process, watching the growth in ourselves, but we're also watching the world change. So I want to thank you for that sermon. Stephen, and for the opportunity to fight back these tears right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. When I think about what it looks like for me to take steps across racial lines, um, I feel like Brandon and David's harp are light years ahead. I feel like, man, I don't know that I'll ever be able to get there. But the good news is that I gave $42 to the one family special offering. And because of that, I get to participate through my gift. I get to participate in what Brandon's doing. And so I want to encourage everyone, all of you. I mean, the reason we're asking for $42 is so that every single person can participate because I want you to hear updates of what David's harp is doing and then to think, you know what? I played a part in that. So I know some of you can give more than 42. Some of you can't give that much. You're going to give what you can, but we ask you just, we want everybody to give something to this. Um, right now we're at $4,100 out of the 5,000. So we're right on track to, to meet our number. We got this, this one last week. Next week, we're going to hear from someone uh, from Alma Community Care so you can get a little bit more of a taste of what they're doing.
Um, but you can give to this. Um, the, uh, you've got a special offering envelope. Uh, if you're here in the parking lot, please use this. You can put a check in there. You can put cash in there. Uh, this will go directly to the special offering. Um, oh, wait, actually, no, no. We want you to write on this special offering or one family on this if you put a gift in here. Um, you can go online, harborcity.church slash give, and you can choose in the drop-down menu the one family special offering, and you can give that way as well. But uh, we really want every one of us to participate so that we can partner with David's Harp because they're doing something that most of us aren't going to be able to do. And again, it's just a small step in this direction. And so overall, this week, I want you to pray. I want you to spend time, and I want you to give. These are ways that we can follow Jesus and participate in the story that he is trying to tell in history. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our savior. Um, it again is startling to see how you responded and we want to follow you. God, give us life. Give us hope. Forgive us for being hypocrites Forgive us for giving into jealousy and greed and doing things that propagate the systemic racism that exists in our country, in our city. And show us, God, what we can do to move forward. Help us this week to pray, to spend time with others who are different and to give so that we can participate in your story. Thank you for calling us and inviting us to be part of what you're doing. Thank you for your love that you adopt us as your sons and daughters and invite us into your business. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Sand. 